The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hold it. One, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Welcome back to Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pictureless podcast highlighting the weird, funny, and bizarre. 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 Bizarre is is how I just pronounced that word. How bizarre? Uh, how bizarre? Another reminder: we're doing it live. Uh, the bizarre elements of baseball that make America's pastime special. I'm once again uh, Noah Scott, and joined by the uh, spooky. Are we doing a spooky? Theme sure, this, we can this do month? spooky. The, the Let's go Halloween. Spooky Brandon Riddle. Uh, and we are super excited to bring you another episode just packed with weird baseball. Brandon, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well. I really appreciate how now we're on our 25th episode. And we've kind of given up on decorum Five. and clean, tight intros. And I'm like, eh, we messed up. We're going to roll with it. This, this feels right. In the first, the first like eight to ten episodes i edited this so tightly like i wanted it to sound like so like like i was like i have to get the intro completely yeah. right i have to i have to nail this it. is gonna Otherwise, be npr quality they're gonna think i'm stupid if i if i flub a word <laughs> like, no now we're comfortable bizarre know. let's do it bizarre. <laughs> uh all right so on tap for today uh because it is this is going to be releasing in the first weekend of october which is exciting and terrifying seeing as i feel like September has been all of three days. Uh, we're gonna gonna try and do something a little in theme here, like I mentioned earlier, and uh, we're gonna do some Satanism, or I guess rather we're we're gonna be studying the Cardinals' devil magic, uh, baseball's version of Satanism, and devil magic. because I believe that the only way to break a curse is to really understand where it came from. Uh, so that's what we're gonna set out to do. Okay. Okay. Uh, then we're gonna dip back into the pickle jar. And then, uh, Brandon, we're going to talk about, <laughs> I just see here in the notes, you have cleats, boots, and spikes. Oh, my. So I obviously had no idea we were doing a Halloween theme. So I just stuck <laughs> oh, my at the end thinking maybe it'll work, but it, it doesn't work at all. It was it was a very spur of the moment. Like, oh, shoot, it's October. Like, Halloween, let's let's do it. Maybe, maybe the following episode, we can play it up a little yeah. more. And I'm just thinking about shoes. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We cover a lot of ground, mm-hmm. uh, but I see first before we get into all all the spooktacular activities, uh, the real the real scare is this, uh, this pop <laughs> quiz that it looks like you have laid out for us today. Yeah. So uh, why don't you why don't you take that take pop quiz hotshot? Which is the oldest franchise to never have a player win the MVP award? Ooh. So of course there are multiple franchises that don't have an MVP to them, but which is the oldest? 
That's so interesting because I yeah. my my initial thought, so my initial reasoning is okay, I'm thinking expansion team because there's mm-hmm. no way that like an ancient team like in I'm just hypothetically like Cleveland, for example. Exactly, exactly. Cleveland, Detroit. No way they haven't won an MVP. And I know Detroit has, I'm at least ninety nine percent sure that um, Mickey got one. Ex- yeah, oh, at least yeah. one. Yeah, I've, I was alive for that. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, like, Cobb <laughs> must have won something. I don't even know if they gave out. MVP. I don't. I don't think they had MVP awards back then. Yeah. Okay. Or, or, or quick, quick tangent. They did for a little bit, but then you were only allowed to win one per career, yeah. which is why Babe Ruth right. only has like one. It changed, I think, late in his career. Fun fact. That's right. Yeah, because they. I actually, I don't like that rule because obviously you want to highlight the best person in a given season. That's mm-hmm. an interesting idea. So uh, I just quickly searched it. The current incarnation of the MVP award was established in 1931. Okay. Um, you know, that's when they, they start at least giving MVPs out. So, yeah, I would think that that's more than enough time for old franchises like the, uh, you know, like Cleveland, like Detroit. Um, I'm going to go with. Ah, shoot. And here's the deal about the thing about baseball is that even well. I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. Okay, okay. I'm just, just, I'm just like, excited uh, about this. Suspense. Uh, the thing about baseball is that it's so old. Even the historically terrible teams have had great Hall of Fame talent, right? Like, just it, it happens. Because my initial thought was Ouch. okay, like maybe like somebody like okay. And this is not to to. So now I feel like I've built it up to where I'm going to be like, oh, the bad teams. No, I, I love the Royals, but my first thought was, like, <laughs> was, you know, maybe the Royals, but then I'm like, George Brett, did he win the MVP? Um, I, I kind of, I'm going to go with the Royals, actually. This is absolutely no disrespect for to the Royals franchise. It's just through an objective lens, you have not won as much as many other teams. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, you're wrong. That's my, I'm, I'm wrong. Okay, it is, it is not the Royals. Okay. Um, actually, I won't, I'm curious. I don't have my phone on me, but I'll give it one more guess. Yeah, give, give, us one, like... give us one more guess here. I, I can't recall who won with the Royals, and I have their fan base I'm gonna go upset. With, I'm going to be weird, and I'm going to go with either. Mm, I'm going to go with either Colorado or Tampa Bay. I feel like it's Tampa Bay. You want to give you a hint? Sure. We talked about them last week, dude. I don't remember what I had for breakfast. It was the Mets. It was the New York Metropolitans. Never won won an MVP MVP. award. Mm -hmm. I'm simultaneously shocked and and not Not surprised at all. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh Wow, that is so on brand. (laughs) That's incredible. And and they've had some great players. And we're gonna gonna talk a little, touch on a couple at least in our next segment. But wow, the Mets. Do do you have the happen to have the second oldest franchise? uh, Oh, um. That's that's a trivia question. Maybe that's uh, that's that's an end of the episode trivia question. Okay, let's let's do that. Bottom of, um, wow. So that's learn something new every day. Sorry to the Mets fan out there that's listening to this and has known that it was his team. You know, a- after last week, I think I think all the Mets fans have just stopped listening to us. <laughs> you know what? We're gonna just bag on the Mets again today. So we're gonna get into it here <laughs> with Cardinals Devil Magic: A Brief History because every year, like like clockwork. It happens again. The St. Louis Cardinals go from a fringe team in the wild card hunt, uh, but as soon as the calendar flips to September, uh, they suddenly become the hottest team in baseball. They've been out of it, completely out of it, and mm-hmm. then they'll rattle off win after win after win. And of course, this is in response to the Cardinals doing just that this season. So, for those of you at home that uh, haven't been keeping up with what's going on in St. Louis, the St. Louis Cardinals. 
is redundant, I suppose. The Cardinals are in the midst of a historical winning streak. They've won 17 consecutive ball games. Um, and to be honest, it doesn't look like they're stopping anytime soon. And a lot of people are both impressed and irritated at this because every <laughs> irritated year, is the right word everyone's just like yeah that's great but also stop <laughs> because every single season the cardinals go from a team that looks like they're on the ropes they look like they're about to you know be in the rebuilding processes mm-hmm. stages something like that and then every year without fail they come back and get career years from and it ha- it's a little different every time you know it, sometimes it's like the the unheralded prospect uh, or the, the international signing. Sometimes it's the 37 year old mm-hmm. middle infielder. That's basically just a, a DH now that, that has a career second half, right? It's always something different, but it's like a, a sappy romantic Kevin Costner baseball film. Every time it's, it's like watching the natural, right? Where like the right things just happen to fall into place okay. Okay. because it's just baseball. It's that's what I'm saying is like the Cardinals, sometimes feel like the protagonists of MLB. And I hate that I said that. I understand that's great. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I don't think that's okay. But just hear me out. Just from the perspective of things typically just seem to go their way when they need it. The there most. you go. Inexplicably, you know, like, the storyline falls to them. If there was, if there was like some kind of like storyline to the season, it just so happens the Cardinals always, they're the underdog that always finds a way to pull something out of their ass. Right. So like they're no longer the underdog because they always are and they always win. So it's like, you're just yeah, a regular dog just now. Irritated. You're, you're just a dog. <laughs> That's why I'm saying like <laughs> people are both impressed and just resentful of this hot streak they're on. Uh, but let's so so like I said, it, the only way to really understand, uh, the only way to break this curse and to free Major League Baseball from the dark reign of of the Cardinals, I suppose, uh, we've got to understand it first and trace it back to its roots. Um, so, Brandon, just to get before we get into that, do you have like a an original memory that you know pops to your head where the Cardinals personally did you wrong and you, Brandon, you just resolved mm-hmm, to just you know mm-hmm. what I hate the Cardinals you know what devil magic right I was 12 years old mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was, I was 12 years old <laughs> in a, a September Sunday. afternoon and the Diamondbacks are going for the you know for a back-to-back world championship and we get swept by the Cardinals of course in the first round of the playoffs I remember sitting watching TV, seeing the fireworks at Birch Stadium go off, and my soul has just left my body. I'm thinking, how can people be happy right now when I am not? So that was when I decided to hate the Cardinals, except when now Goldie's on them. So yeah, that's such a great line. That was the moment when I decided. That was the moment. Uh huh. <laughs> that's good. Um, my first memory of the Cardinals' devil magic is, of course, it's I'll I'll I'll, I'll hold off for a little bit because it's it's of course that magical 2011 season. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I really. Um, you know, I, I really noticed it. And I think that's true for a lot of people and we'll get to that. Um, but it actually, uh, to really trace it back to its roots, we have to go all the way back to 2006. So at this point, the Cardinals had been playoff contenders for a few years, but they really just couldn't get over that hump, right? They had lost in the NLCS in 2000, 2002, 2005, the previous, uh, or two the good years. Prior, Exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, Brandon's like, man, those golden days. Uh, of course, they lost the 2004 World Series to the team of destiny, the curse breakers over in Boston, which, you know, when you run up against the team of destiny, it's just um, can't do anything. Let's see the Diamondbacks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so they're really just, just struggling to take that next step. 
Um, and so after winning 100 plus games the previous two seasons, the 2006 Cardinals had a lot of promise behind them. However, they struggled to even break 500 and they were exceedingly mediocre. And they they finished with just an 83 and 78 record, just a few games over 500. That was such a weird season. The only thing that's almost more impressive than that, if you can call an 83 and 78 record impressive, is that everyone else in their division was somehow worse. Like their one saving grace, their silver lining is the rest of the NL Central just also sucked. And so they only had to beat out the 82 and 80 Astros for the division. And so they can stumble into the playoffs, right? There was no big win streak. There was no big stretch run, which is usually a component of these late season uh, breakout teams, right? I you, you remember in 2016, uh, the Cleveland squad rattled together. I think like something like 19 or 20. It was impressive. They yeah, they set a record. I think the American League record, uh, and that was a team that kind of came out of nowhere, won a ton of games in the row, and everyone's scared because they're like, this "Yeah, is the hottest team in baseball." But this year, like you said, they literally stumbled. 83 wins isn't even good enough for like yeah. fourth place in divisions now. It's a miracle they won this, the division. It's a miracle that everyone else was so bad that that, that 83 wins won the division. Um, yeah, they went 13 and 15 in August, 12 and 16 in September. That's typically not what winning ball clubs do. Uh, however, they did have some talent. They were led on the mound by Chris Carpenter. Uh, but the team had a very middling ERA, 454 middle of the pack. They were relying on some rookie named Adam Wainwright to close out games with their star reliever, uh, Jason Isringhausen, on the, uh, he was injured. Uh, they did have prime Albert Pujols and mm-hmm. uh, Scott Rowland, which you cannot understand understate how great Albert Pujols was. At the yeah, that's era. that's not an afterthought. Prime Alberts. That's <laughs> yeah, that's not like oh, you know, they just no. That's like worth five guys. Uh, and they had an aging Jim Edmonds, but those were the only three players that were above average hitters that season. Had an OPS plus above 100, so they really had something of a in fantasy sports. It's sometimes called like a stars and scrubs mentality. Uh, not to call those other you know role players scrubs by any means um it's just the term but it's that's what it was it was stars and then a bunch of depth mm-hmm. pieces role players around them um and so by some miracle they made it to playoffs although i will say this i feel like looking back there's a lot of revisionist history when looking at this team because they did win 100 games the two previous seasons i feel like we shouldn't be as shocked <laughs> that this team ended up going well, on yeah that's fair season you know, because the record tells a different story because they were that, that's the, the thing is they were hobbled by injuries all season long. And that's that's what really impacted this record. So don't get me wrong. They were an underdog, but they did have talent. They had prime Albert Pujols. There you go. Um, and somehow they survived the 88 and 74 Padres and they advanced to the NLCS <laughs> with uh, with uh, Car- Chris Carpenter winning half of the games in that first round. And now this is the uh, where I'm going to place the content warning for the Mets fans listening to, along to this. Uh, beep. Okay, so they faced a powerhouse 2006 Mets squad. I, <laughs> oh, you're good. No, I'm just, I was just confused with that beep was, <laughs> yeah. but no. I just want to give a warning because they faced off against this powerhouse, powerhouse Mets team. Uh, this is just a nostalgia warning, too, because we're getting into some great names. we got Carlos Beltran, uh, Carlos Delgado, Jose Reyes, David Wright. Uh, very, you know, we've got old Pedro Mar- Martinez, <laughs> old El Duque, Tom Glad. El Duque was always old. Also fair. Uh, Billy <laughs> Wagner, right? Uh, so this was a 97-win team, and they were the favorites in the National League. They were dominant, right? Um, and so they, 
But somehow this this Cardinals team that had barely finished above 500, uh, they shut them out in game one. They somehow uh, banded together in games two, three, two, three, and five from those role players giving key contributions. Uh, Soto oh, Gucci, wow. Scott Spezio. Um, they all had these very key hits. And so you couldn't really put the Cardinals away because they just kept chipping, chipping away. And so it, it just had to be frustrating because you know you can beat these guys that have spent a lot of the season on the bench. But, you know, you still got to play the games. And that's mm-hmm. where these, this, this Cardinals team really, you know, these guys had a great chance, opportunity to shine. Uh, they're also uh, helped out by a stud 23-year-old catcher in his third MLB season, some youngster named Yadier Molina who clocked a homer in game four. Um, so the series, it's back and forth. It, it comes to a boil at seven games, and it's the classic backyard baseball showdown. Uh, you've got Chris, uh, Adam Wainwright, the rookie on the mound, to close uh, close it out in the t- uh, in the ninth inning. Bottom of the ninth, you've got bases loaded, two outs, and the pennant on the line with the untouchable Carlos Beltran at the plate. At this point, Carlos Beltran was having a, his- a historical playoff uh, series, and you just couldn't get it. It's like... It, it, it's any player what well, you know they all you know they'll just have sometimes they'll have a streak where they're the most fearsome hitter in the planet it mm-hmm. just happens this was, happens to me all the time i get it yeah of course you know it's just tuesday for you but carlos beltran was having a life uh, a series of a lifetime uh, so anyway so the cardinals are clinging on to a two-run lead following a clutch homer uh, from yadier molina in the top of the ninth and so wayne writes on to close bases loaded trying to just get Beltran out. Like, imagine being a rookie, being so young and having to face this monster. Somehow strikes him out on an 0-2 curveball, strikes him out looking on the outside corner. So the mediocre Cardinals win the pennant, and then they go on to face the 95 and 67 Tigers in the World Series. Uh, This is a... We'll we'll go through this quickly, because it's it's not as interesting as the Mets series. Uh, But it is hilarious, because the Tigers were the heavy favorite. Mm -hmm. um, And of course accurate as ever bob nightingale at the time predicted tigers were going to win the the series in three of course seven game series can only win in four nightingale uh, but, for you yeah the cardinals came out swinging against the rookie justin verlander which is this story i just feel there's so many young names that we just think of now as these like old veterans who've been around for you know forever uh so they tagged him for six earned runs and then the cardinals ended up just just running through the the tigers through the rest of the series they won 4-1 david Eckstein won that world series mvp hitting 364 three doubles uh you know edmonds did well molina carpenter wainwright uh, the team really all melded together at the right time they're in the right spot and they're able to get hot and and they're unbeatable vaguely related question for you okay um you mentioned comes out swinging I, I've always imagined that was a boxing phrase, but that makes also sense in baseball. Do you think it was yeah. derived from baseball or boxing first? Comes out swinging. You know, I'm going to guess boxing, but I don't know. Maybe for that's sure. next week's pitch, uh, pickle jar. I don't know. Sure. We, can, we can find the the origin. Yeah. yeah, I would guess boxing. That's true. Yeah, it I, I actually. That's right. funny. I never even thought of it as a boxing no. term. Oh, you never I, thought. I, I always thought yeah, it was I, boxing. I had the opposite. I, I, <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, you're in there digging in to take some hacks. Right. Well, this that's has been just, tangents with Brandon. Yeah, <laughs> need a little, a little chime or a little uh, you know, theme song there. Uh, so somehow this 83 win underdog makes a mad dash, claims the title. But wait, there's more. Of course, we got to talk about 2011 real quick, where the uh, the Cardinals really like t- 2006 was a miraculous run. But also in 2006, the term devil magic really hadn't taken shape yet. Uh, the Internet Twitter wasn't as uh 
Mature. Yeah, exactly. You know, we just weren't at that that point in the internet yet where we we had these memes and and. Uh, well, yeah, we had memes in 2011. Don't you worry. Well, yeah, I'm talking about 2006. Though. No one <laughs> oh, was yeah. around the term devil magic in 2006. They just thought, wow, this is you know incredible. 2011, however, this is when people started to get sick of the Cardinals as shit. Uh, <laughs> And so basically, uh, and there's a little background. So the Cardinals had been investigating or investing rather in college talent, uh, you know, players that other teams had overlooked, right? Players like Pete Cosma, Alan Craig, Matt Carpenter, that would later become some of the key building blocks and role players in this 2011 team. Um, now, this team, of course, Albert's still there. Molina's a star player. Uh, now they have David Freese, Matt Holiday, Lance Berkman, and of course, Skip Schumacher. Uh, and you would think that sounds like a pretty strong core. Albert Pujols, like I said, is just amazing. And Freese uh, and, and Molina Holiday, they're having solid seasons. However, on August 24th, the Cardinals were sitting at, at, at a 67-63 and 63 record, 10.5 games back of Atlanta for the wild card, with just a 4.3% chance of even making the playoffs. Well, that sounds August so familiar. 24th, right? Yeah. Uh, buckle up everybody here we go again <laughs> um now this is august 24th you have a month left in the season and what follows is the most unbelievable and chaotic stretch run for a fringe team in recent history the cardinals go 23 and 9 to end the season uh it all boils over in this fateful game 162 in 2011 where four teams fought for just two playoff spots on the final day of the season uh with the cardinals and the rays uh, clinching berths and advancing um, so the Cardinals make it through to the playoffs uh, through both, you know, an incredible win, win streak and also just other teams collapsing. I feel like that's the heart of devil magic. Is just <laughs> other teams kind of collapse at the same time and it just feels inevitable. That's the key. It just always feels inevitable. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know, they face off against the 2011 Phillies who had just won the World Series uh, a couple years prior, and they've got one of the strongest rotations in recent memory with Roy Holiday, Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels, and Roy wow. Oswald. I remember being a kid. This was like when I was growing up. This was peak baseball for me. Like this this year, I think 2011. Like all those players, I loved. I just remember my Sports Illustrated for Kids cover coming <laughs> with uh, with with Holiday on the cover and, and the Phillies rotation. Do you, in, do you remember the the um, origin story for Roy Oswald? I do not. Oh, really quick tangent with Brandon. Yeah, do it. <laughs> um, so I think he was in the minor leagues at this time, and he just could not get over the hump. He was not pitching great, and was afraid right. of being released. And so one day he was working on his truck out back, and he grabbed something wrong with the battery, and it got him shocked. Like he shocked himself with his car battery, <laughs> and like he was afraid for his arm because that's the where he got shocked at. Right. Comes back, and it's like he's a new player after getting electric shock to <laughs> his body, and he goes on to become Roy Oswalt. That is a bona fide superhero origin story. Oh, 100%. Like, you, like, literally, that's crazy. I wonder, wow. No, I love that guy. And one of his contracts, um, instead of more money, he asked for a tractor. And so the Astros gave him a tractor in his contract. Oh, I love yeah. Roy Oswalt back mm-hmm. in those days. Um, and then you also, that team was classic. You had Rollins, Utley, Howard, those guys. Which Uts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Shane Victorino, the flying hole. Wow. Um, Anyway, it was, you know, you know, to make a short story long, the Phillies were a, a, a powerhouse, right? And in the playoffs, that rotation is, is that's a tall order, right? That's terrifying. 
they lose game one to Holiday, 11 to six, and they go down 4-0 to Cliff Lee in game two. Uh, and at this point, Cliff Lee was, you don't come back from down 4-0 to Cliff Lee. You don't. The Cardinals do. They stage a miraculous comeback to win and even the series up 1-1. to And now game three is when it all comes to a head. The Cardinals' devil magic summons the Rally Squirrel, uh, <laughs> which appears for the first time in the outfield. One of uh, the very first baseball memes that I remember growing up. Um, and it delays the you, game. You don't remember the Rally Monkey, do you? I, re- I remember time. the Rally Monkey. I went to Angels games when I was when I was a kid. That was like yeah. in, okay, 2004, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, of course. Like okay. Vladdy, okay. come on. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, the Rally Squirrel, I remember, was just a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, but it the was squirrel, not man, the it squirrel. Wasn't it was just some, some rodent that, that ran around the outfield and delayed the mm-hmm. game for a few minutes. And the Phillies ended up winning 3-2. to two. Uh, Everyone thought that that was hilarious at the time and just, you know, we're easily entertained. Baseball's a slow sport, even in the playoffs. Um, and so, you know, a furry friend, cool. Little did we know that the rally squirrel would, would come back and make a, a stunning return in game four. And it actually sprinted across home plate just as Roy Oswalt came home with a pitch to skip Schumacher, uh, which ended up going for a ball. And the Phillies, Charlie Manuel, the manager, actually argued for no pitch because he said that the squirrel distracted Roy Oswalt. I mean... Makes sense. Squirrel. I'm here for the gamesmanship. You know, you, you, got, you might as well try it. You know, it was, the worst they can say is no. Uh, Cardinals ended up winning that game. Uh, and then <laughs> I actually didn't know this part about the story until I researched it. But before game five, a squirrel went after Roy Oswald again, this time in the bullpen before the game. Um, and Phillies fans ended up tossing a stuffed squirrel down <laughs> to the St. Louis bullpen to taunt their their pitchers and their players. That ended up being a poor decision as the team turned it into a rallying point and treated it as a good luck charm throughout the rest of their playoff run. They ended up beating Philly in in Game 5, one series three games to two, bested the Brewers in the NLCS in six games with David Freese winning the MVP. He had 545 with three home runs. He was a tank. My goodness. A tank. And of course... Uh, we, we know the World Series 2011, so I won't go too, too in-depth, but I am interested um, to sa- kind of get your perspective on this, Brandon. So I'll ask you a couple questions. So, of course, we remember Alan Craig hit a couple oh, key yes. run-scoring singles. Uh, Pujols went off for three home runs in Game 3, and the Rangers came back in one Game 4 and 5, setting up a pivotal Game 6 with the Cardinals facing elimination, uh, just trying to extend the series and get to Game 7. Now... Uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar, maybe you just aren't, you know, you weren't in the baseball at the time, uh, just just for background. So the Rangers get within one strike of winning their cha- uh, championship twice. I'm not even a Rangers fan, and this hurts still. It hurts. I would honestly, like, if I was a Rangers fan, this would be, a, like, I'm scarred from 2017. Oh, yeah. This would be deep. This was it. This was the one. Yeah, exactly, because you were oh, literally God. a strike away. And, and it's it's that bad that that as we're not even Rangers fans and it hurts. It hurts just, deeply. I can imagine. But continue. But, but so so they get bottom of the ninth. They get the Cardinals down to their final strike. David Freese is at the plate and he hits a two out two strike game tying triple off of the wall to send the game to extra innings. Of course, it's a little you know from there. Uh, you know that was like the. The climax of the of the series and then you know the, the the cherry on top he walks it off with a leadoff home run in the 11th home run we get that uh that that i mean it's it's a legendary call at this point we will see you tomorrow night 
so Brandon, where were you when this happened? Do you remember? I believe I was definitely watching the games. I, I, right. I watched all the games. I have all those memories. I think it was at home with some friends and just our hands on our head and, you know, right. mouth open, like what the just happened? Yeah. It was incredible because, of course, we all dislike, if not hate the Cardinals. I mean, they're, they're a team that exists yeah, and I'm happy for them. an American. Yeah. <laughs> but like I wanted the Rangers to win for whatever reason at this time. So it just hurts when this happened they were so close and like from a baseball perspective what a magical moment i hate it (laughs) i was i was i was young then and and an idiot i mean i still am to some degree but i was rooting for the cardinals because i just i hadn't been burned you know i hadn't Uh, i hadn't wisened uh up uh and realized that they are you know satan in baseball form Uh, let's not go besmirch the good name of satan (laughs) (laughs) oh man oh gosh set it up and spike it uh but i remember i was i remember exactly what i was on the way home from but i was in the car with my mom and my brother i think it might have been my brother had like a baseball game or something Uh um and we were listening to the game on the radio and i just thought it was i remember it because i thought it was kind of funny because obviously like it's the world series it's huge but Back then, if it wasn't a Dodger game, you know, it'd be we didn't really go out of our our way to listen on the radio. You know, like we mm-hmm. I would watch the World Series even if I still obviously watch the World yeah. Series if they're not in in it. But like back then, I was a little younger. I you know it was a little more Dodgers focused. I guess I don't know. So I remember it being odd that we were listening to the Cardinals game, and I just remember you know we're listening. We're like this is really good, and my mom was really into it, and that was that was really cool. <laughs> and and so like we you know you're listening on the radio. It's different than TV. Uh, because obviously you can't, you can't see it. So you're, you're hanging on every single word of the broadcaster. And I just remember free swings and it's a drive. It's back to the, I thought it was a home run and it, he's, you know, it's off the wall. And, and my mom was in the car and she's like cheering. She's like, whoa, you know, I, I don't know if she remembers this. She's going to listen to this and either, you know, I'll find out. And <laughs> but I, but I just remember the, our whole car. We're like, wow, you know, that's incredible. Right. And of course, freeze, uh, you oh know, a couple innings later, I think it was a long drive, I guess. <laughs> he hits his home run, and it was incredible that, you know, it was one of the craziest, obviously cr- one of the craziest baseball games in history. Yeah, that's uh, still how yeah. I remember David Freeze is that one game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it made him a, like, that man has never had to buy another beer oh, no. in St. Louis ever again. He will, he never, he never would. Or, or, he, he just can't go to Texas, which is yeah, fine. Yeah, it might be a little awkward. Um but yeah, they ended up winning six to, and that was once they had won game six, game seven. Yeah, game seven. At that, at that point, knew. The, yeah. the Rangers were cooked. Uh, you know, they ended up, you know, it was fairly easy six two win for the Cardinals. And in the years <sighs> since, the Cardinals have embarked on many similar last minute postseason runs. Some of them coming up just shy, uh, as they they really it just always feels like they're lurking, right? Like they're never mm-hmm. truly out. Mm-hmm. It's it's like. You know the cat that keeps showing up at your door because you fed it that one time. It's like I, I that's a poor. And I, I just idea. hate how that speaks to how well run that organization is. You oh, know, definitely like top to bottom like, minor like leagues. It's, it's never, it's never, it's not a mistake that guys like Alan Craig and Pete Cosma and Matt Carpenter perform. You know, that's that's a process when when yeah, anyone can have a great a great series, a great game, but when it's systematic, when it continually happens and comes unexpected yeah. places that production that is organizational culture at work right that's, and that's what, scouting and development and what makes it worse is their claim to the best fans in baseball that one really yeah that's me. that's that's uh-huh. false that's, i don't know where one. that came from and it, it's just dumb and every time i hear it i roll my <laughs> eyes 
Giants because like how can anyone claim that especially if they're not a Dodger fan. So, I mean, it's it's <sighs> So this has been short hops and tall. <laughs> my my genuine my genuine belief is the Mariners are the best fans in baseball because they have suffered the most. They um, there as we as we speak right now, they're a half game out from oh, the wild card. The first time for the first time in 20 years they would make it and I desperately want them to make it. I'm, go I'm go Mariners. I'm hoping. Um, and of course, uh, last note on the Cardinals, of course it ties into, like we mentioned earlier, they've won 17 games in a row to clinch their second wild card after their playoff odds. They were at 2.8% on September 7th when they were 69 and 68. Nice. 2.8%. Uh, <laughs> and now they've they've got a wild card slot and they're probably going to end up facing the Dodgers in a one-game playoff, which is horrifying because it's the Cardinals' devil magic. Mm. I don't know. I don't mm. know. It's... It's that scary. makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it does. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that closes the book on the Cardinals for now. I will be checking my uh, under my bed and in my closet for Cardinals Devil Magic uh, entering into this October. Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> let's pivot a little bit and bring it back to the pickle jar. Brandon, what's our term for this week? So the, this week, the pickle jar, of course, looking at baseball terminology, is dying quail. I, I guess we thought, you know, dying quail sounds Halloween-y since dying is involved, but sure. Oh, and I can't hear you. One moment. We had a couple of downer pickle jars because we definitely had... Yeah, sorry, I muted myself for a second because I'm a moron. Um, it's the Cardinal's Devil snowman. Magic. Yeah, we had Hang a Snowman last time, and now we've got dying oh, yeah. quail. So we need to... We have to liven it up. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Ne- ne- next week, we'll have something a little happier. Yeah. Had you heard of this term before? Because I had not. Oh, you haven't? Yeah. I've, I've not heard of this term. I just like when I, I sent you a list of, of some terms we mm-hmm. might use, I had not actually like like gone in and like I just saw like dying quails. Like, I don't know what it means. I So I, w- when is the last time that you watched Bull Durham? Bull Durham years ago. Okay. Years you, ago. That's on your to-do list. I, I, I got to do it. And it's it's. I think it's just because Bull Durham. We'll have him. We should do a movie, a baseball movie one. But uh-huh. Bull Durham, it's. I love it. It's a great film. It's just not my in my rotation of this is the baseball movie I'm going to watch when I want to watch a baseball. Trust movie me, necessarily. you got through it. Yeah, in there now. it. You're it's a little bit older, so you can understand yeah. a little more things about it. <laughs> I, 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 it's a great film. I'm just saying, you know. Okay. Um, okay. So what yeah. did you think Dying Quail meant? I thought it was kind of like a sacrificial, like you broke your bat and it's like a dying quail. Because to me, a gotcha. quail in my head, I know it's not the same thing, but I relate it. It's like adjacent to a dove or something in my head, you know, kind of like a graceful bird. So I'm thinking yeah. like sacrificial, like. You know, you know, it's my bat is given its all and now it's flying. Its soul is flying away. And it's I don't know. It's a a sacrificial hit. I don't know. It's it's getting weird. (laughs) I'm on a tangent and I'm getting to the point where I don't know where my sentences are going. All right. So so dying quail is just a a ball that helplessly falls in for a hit. It's like a blooper or a Texas leaguer. Little thing that goes over the infield and right before the outfield. So it's a dying quail, like a bird dying in the sky. Um, so, yes, there is a very famous quote in Bull Durham in which he says, you know, if you get 25 more dying quails in 162 games, that's, you know, a trip to the major that's, leagues, for example. That's that's the difference between 250 and 300, right? I think that's the. Yeah, it's it's right? not, not even 25. It's, it's something yeah. less than that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, great quote. Great movie. Definitely got to watch that again. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the origins. I thought this was interesting. Um, I, I was looking into it, and almost everywhere on the internet says, oh, it's the quote from Bull Durham, so it's from that. It is not from Bull Durham. Really? Yeah. 
Uh, so the quote goes back decades. Uh, if you look at old newspapers, you see it, you know, come up in like football games, for example, with the quarterback throwing the ball and it just kind of fledges out there and becomes right. a dying quail. Uh, but the closest in origin I can find um, comes in 1947 when a newspaper credits uh, ball player Dixie Walker with calling oh. a blooper a dying quail. The old dodger. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and over in Brooklyn, yeah, he played 18 seasons overall from 31 to 49. And I think it is Dixie because I can't find a dying quail phrase anywhere before 1947 in any of the newspapers. But after that, after that one segment came out, I think it was in September of 47, suddenly everywhere. So I think well, it was Dixie Walker that year that made it. He must have had quite a few dying quails because he hit 306. And after he actually hit 300 for like a good six years in a row there. That's yeah, he was a years. solid wow. player. Yeah. Cool. yeah so um, yeah. Dixie Walker, there we go, dying, dying quail. quail. And it ties in because the Cardinals, Lord knows, they have gotten more than their fair share of dying quails in their their, we're just going to wish reasons. ill will on the Cardinals, aren't we? Is that we're what's happening today? Rat, we're, I'm going to speak it into existence. I'm going to okay. rack on the Cardinals until, until I, I hope, the wild card game. I hope Goldschmidt hits five home runs and the Cardinals lose in the wild card game. That's, what that's I, fair. That's okay. okay. Like, like mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Like He can hit okay. many home runs if they lose, but they have to lose <laughs> for freedom. And Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, no let, me, let me take that back. I take that all back. No, the Cardinals have to win the wild card game. What was I thinking? Ladies and gentlemen, our next segment is a cleats, boots, and spikes. Here we go. <laughs> Take it away. All right. Um, so I, I didn't know it was going to be a Halloween theme. So before that, I was thinking, what do I not know anything about? Cleats. What's the history of cleats? Where they come from? Who made them? What's going on with them? Hey. So, yeah, sure. <laughs> so going on with cleats? Going on with cleats here. Tying them on tight. Uh, so the baseball as a sport has to evolve it's it's been around for about 200 years now so it's always changing rules teams leagues obviously players and equipment evolves throughout time as well and so of course the baseball cleats one of the earliest forms of evolving equipment because everyone has to wear it. it's not like catcher's gear where some catchers didn't wear it or they had different types everyone's gonna wear a shoe unless you're shoeless joe for that one game um so the cleat itself uh, <laughs> It actually starts, of course, back in the Roman times when the Roman legionnaires stuck spikes at the end of the shoe for better traction when they're trying to slaughter innocent civilians, I assume. Oh, um, my gosh. <laughs> well, this is you know, they, they were the Romans. That's what they did. <laughs> uh, and the cleat just kind of existed in that frame for a while until a guy named Cornelius Johnson, who was the royal shoemaker for King Henry VIII, created football boots for the king. I got to be honest. I really enjoy going into the segments that you do with with without a huge understanding of what we're going to talk about oh, because man, no I I only knew we were going to talk about, about shoes and now we're talking about Roman legionnaires and, and Cornelius and Johnson like continue continue sorry for interrupting continue oh no you're fine <laughs> no I I get that I didn't know what to expect either uh, but I love the idea of a guy in the medieval times. Uh, Cornelius Johnson has having a business card that says Cornelius Johnson, Royal Shoemaker. That just sounds kind of cool. <laughs> uh, so yeah, those types of cleats existed in various forms for a couple hundred years after that. Um, typically in amateur sports, and there was never really one firm design for the for them, just because it is the 1600s and don't really trademark cleats at the time. Uh, but baseball was really one of the first sports to actually take hold and mold the cleat as we know it today. 
Uh, that kind of takes us to the 1860s with a guy, maybe possibly, named Paul Butler. Um, so as legend, and I use that term legends, um, he was the first player to use it in 1862 because we can look back at old photographs and check out, you know, did this player have cleats ah. on? They're just regular shoes. We can look at it like that. Uh, but that with is, Paul, that sounds so tedious. Is that really how they, how they went and kind of like approximated <sighs> when when cleats came around? Um, so as far as I can tell, not much research has been done into when yeah, was okay. the first that's cleat worn in baseball. Uh, so I, that's kind of the best approximation is just looking at the little, pictures little of these niche, cleats. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, but the problem with Paul Butler is, number one, I can't find evidence of this guy ever existing. And number two, all these sources I find online, all they do is reference each other in a circular fashion uh, without any source. So it's kind of annoying. Yeah, it's some think, kind of Paul, Paul Butler, Butler conspiracy. He was probably like William Shakespeare in that he was he was actually like multiple people. But it's it's all, oh we're it's going all, we're going down this really, road. Let me really, pull up my English degree degree sleeves. It's all revisionist history from Big Shoe, so that they can they can. Sell That's what it was. Players. It was big, it big Spalding. Yeah. Uh-huh. Big Shoe and Big Sock. <laughs> the fix is in. Uh, but but in any case, whether Paul Butler existed or if he was a conglomeration of various people, like some believe Shakespeare was, he wasn't. <laughs> These spikes. <laughs> Uh, they were just attached to the shoe, a metal spikes attached to the shoe that you can buy for one fifty a pair. So wow, um, one fifty per spike basically. So not the shoe itself, but the spike would be one fifty. I see. I see you meant. I see you mean one dollar and fifty cents, not one hundred fifty dollars. Like, oh yes, one fifty is one dollar <laughs> and fifty cents. You're exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and about a decade later, a Spalding came out with a shoe that you have actual metal plates on, and that's what the uh, spike would attach to. I can't imagine those first ones would be comfortable without that metal plate there. You right. just have spikes driving into your foot. Not too great. They were just built different back then, ballplayers. Mm-hmm. That's we, they we've had got to be. too many too many sissies in the game today that that, that need Doctor Shoals. That yeah, I mean, really, you're not a ball player until you bleed from the foot. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> until you lose a toe due to due to oh goodness. Uh, but in any case, yeah, so 1860s is the time frame, at least, where cleats, baseball shoes began to be worn by professional ball players and by amateurs as well. Because uh, I'm looking through the records, and at 1866, uh, baseball shoes, I don't know if baseball shoes have the cleats or if they're just regular shoes made for sporting, uh, began being ma- mass-produced, at least in Massachusetts. And they were always made of leather and different types of leather. Uh, so, for example, there was one very popular brand that had kangaroo leather made on top. So it's half kangaroo leather and half right. calfskin leather. That's cool. Yeah. No idea why kangaroo, but sure. Yeah, I'd be interested to kind of get because cause that is interesting because I find, you know, what materials they think works better or maybe it's better for insulation. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Tougher. No, yeah, I'm not sure how much how worried they were about insulation with the. Well, I'm sure feeds. the kangaroo shoes had more had more more bounce, right? There you go. There's yeah, what yeah, I was waiting yeah, for. Yeah, well done. Well you. done. Uh huh. <laughs> Very proud of you. Uh, so the yeah, so it's kangaroo leather uh, made popular in these baseball shoes. Uh, but then the first official baseball shoe in cleats uh, was apparently made by a guy named Waldo M. Claflin in 1882. Great name. Mm-hmm. A plus name, Waldo M. Claflin. And apparently you can still find a lot of the shoes he designed in the Philadelphia Museum of Arts, which is kind of weird. That's really cool, actually. Yeah. 
So that was the first official baseball shoe that was being sold to professionals. But again, they have been around for 20 years since that time. And since then, of course, uh, we developed the little cleat in the front of the toe so we can dig in and get more traction as we try to take off faster. And of course, make sliding a little bit easier, things like that. And, um, and they kind of stay the same for a very long time. They are always brown or black leather. Uh, of course, the copper and ins inserts have developed over the years. But it wasn't even until the 1860s that we got different color cleats. So if you, you know, go back and actually look at these pictures from the 50s, 40s, they're all black or brown. Right. And it's it's just two things. One, it's really surprising to me that baseball shoes were actually being created with baseball in mind as early as 1860. Yeah, 1860. Because mm -hmm. I, I could have seen that being like 1888, you know, maybe like a 1902 kind yeah, of Yeah, like this, this like the same time catcher's mask come into vogue. Exactly. So that's really interesting that that specifically came came into form so much earlier than a lot of other equipment uh, for the sport has. Um, and then also, yeah, I, I mean, do you think it was like a material thing? Because I... I it, 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 it seems odd to me that, you know, colors, you know, just providing them multiple colors. Would be right. Like you, you, you can certainly dye leather. That's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it just wasn't a big deal. They had bigger things to worry about, like, you know, feel and comfort and stuff. But I would, I don't know. Bleeding from your feet. Yeah. At, at what point? Because it's not just shoes, of course, but like at what point things became, you know, we started going towards a little more towards individual customization mm -hmm. you know, and having options for for consumers well I, I i will i won't go into a tangent here this will be a later episode but apparently baseball equipment and um not uh, i'm drawing a blank on the word jerseys <laughs> they have a wide history and how they developed was really interesting as well cool. uh so yeah everything from silk they used to wear to to of course the wool and everything so uh, history we'll going have to on check there that out or yeah do, do something with, with uniforms mm -hmm. too but okay back to the feet back to the feet of course so yeah black or brown shoes up until the 1960s and then the it was the kansas city a's came out with uh blue shoes so they were the first team to introduce color to their shoes and with new color came kind of new problems here's something <laughs> called the shoe shine sham <laughs> which I thought that there was that a site that named it there. I thought that was fantastic. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, so that's uh, the Sushine Champ occurred on July 5th, 1973. And it was the Rangers against the White Sox. On the mound, we have rookie Jim Kremel of Texas making his big league debut. He was excited and ready to go. Um, he only threw 2.1 innings, so didn't last that long. Right. Uh, but on one of these uh, pitches, he threw a ball in the dirt against shortstop Eddie Leon. Eddie looked down the ball and saw a black shoe polish, so he took first base. And huh. Kreml was kind of pissed off. There was no way this ball hit the guy. And so he demanded the umpire take a look at the ball. So the umpire takes a look and goes, <laughs> yeah, sure enough, that's black shoe polish right there. Take your base. Uh, fine. Uh, the only issue is that Eddie had the red shoes on. <laughs> so Eddie... Uh, Took a fast one there as my AC turns on. And I'm just imagining, like, obviously, it, it had to have been a fairly close pitch for it to be debatable, but I'm just imagining, like, him throwing a ball, like, six feet behind this guy. Like, ah, it hit, hit me in the foot. <laughs> Look at the uh, polish. The red, it had to. The red shoes uh, the, came back to bite him. Oh, that's, that's, that's a classic baseball story if I ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, the red shoes. I mean, they didn't come back to bite him because he got on base. The Empire just didn't look at the color of his shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, true. True. You're right. You're right. That's funny. And I see I see here. Uh, so for those of you at home, Brandon has a photo of some shoes here in the notes, like some it says antique leather baseball cleats uh, from around 1900. Uh, and these things look like the bottom, the soles, they definitely look rudimentary and kind of scary because they're worn and rusty. Could you imagine the pressure points you have on your feet on oh, those things? Oh. I mean, miserable. Yeah, exactly. And also terrifying because you see like famous pictures of Ty Cobb going cleats first, which yeah. a lot of players did. I would, those things are sharp. They'll take you out. Honestly, like in retrospect, spiking somebody in like 1960 should have been considered like attempted murder via tetanus. Well, Around no, the like, six, well, around the 60s, uh, Major League Baseball changed the rules where you can no longer have metal cleats. Uh, you can uh, have nice plastic on it. It's a really hard plastic as opposed to knives on the bottom of your feet. Well, when did they – I wonder when they switched back to allowing metal then. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I remember the, the thing that was like in vogue when, when I was playing like in high school and like literally and stuff was they had – I think might have been Nike. But one of those shoe companies came out with these shoes, these like spikes that like – you could put this almost like this sole on the bottom of it, like this cover, and it would like the spikes would slot right in. It was like a little gel looking thing. So you would just mm-hmm. pop that on the bottom of your spikes and then you could walk around like sneakers. Uh, and I thought those were pretty cool. I still think that there's a lot of um, missed potential in in Major League Baseball in and you could you could have light up light up shoes like sketchers. Like Noah. how cool would it be for trade? Noah. Yeah. Noah, do that. Make that a thing. <laughs> um, I, I know baseball doesn't allow fun things on the field, yeah. but if you could have light up, light up cleats, just imagine the new demographics that would wave imagine, into baseball. Imagine Trey Turner just speeding around the bases, and you could get like a cool like he would look like Sonic. Yeah, you get like a cool long exposure exposure shot of his 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 spikes just lighting up. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Like I, baseball, I, baseball, do this right now. Do this. Some Joe West had just just got a stomach ache uh, somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> you know. You know he's he's uh, retiring this year, so yeah, doesn't matter anymore. We're free. Yeah, but uh, that that'd be fun. Well, somebody in baseball in in MLB uh, marketing hit my hit my line, but uh, do it. Yeah, so shoes. I was wildly entertained by this and did not expect <laughs> it to go all the way back to, to Roman times Roman. and King Henry the Eighth. Like that's that's incredible. Baseball just it, it surprises and astounds me every single day. Um, well, we covered a lot of ground there. Uh, kept kept a pretty pretty widespread. I had a good time. Um, so uh, if if you at home had a had a good time as well, be sure to follow Short Hops and Tall Tales on Twitter at Short Hops PL. Uh, follow Brandon at BD Riddle and myself at Noah A Scott Six uh, for like the what one time a week we actually tweet things. <laughs> um, <laughs> subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to podcasts, and leave a review if you're enjoying the show. Uh, for Brandon Riddle, I'm Noah Scott, and this has been the Short Hops and Tall Tales podcast. See you next time. Spooky.